0: Welcome to episode 498 of Troubadours and Raconteurs with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature another great conversation with artist, visual, photography, performance, and his favorite painting, Peter McGough. He talks with us from his studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Peter lives in the West Village of New York City, has since the 70s. He once had a partner in art and life named David McDermott. They have since separated and he now has been working on many projects of his own, namely a memoir from back in 2019. First time we talked was about his memoir, I've seen the future and I'm not going. It's actually a quote from the former partner I mentioned, David McDermott. We talked with Peter about his art, about society, about human existence a great conversation. Part one, part two, comes next week. We also have an EWSA titled My Man. We share several sunbeams, a.k.a. quotes, from the November issue of The Sun Magazine, focusing on wealth and poverty. We have an EW poem titled Long Grass. And of course, all of this is imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It's so nice to be with you. Let's get to it. Episode 498 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours.
1: Please don't tease. If I can move you, then let me squeeze. My heart goes round and round. My little comes tumbling down. You leave me. Breathless sigh well, But I shake all over and you know why? I'm sure it's love honey, let that's no lie. Cause men you call my name. You know I burn like a wooden flame. You leave me breathless, ooh baby, ooh crazy. You're much too much, honey. I can't love you enough. It's all right to hold on tight, but we need you to love me, to love me right. Okay. Love meant for you and I When rain, sleet or snow I'm gonna be wherever you go You have a left of me Breathless Sigh uh...
0: dogs and the Tammany Hall hogs race for the space we call power. The twin towers, the leaning one in Pisa, the fashionista cathedrals and oligarchs knee-deep in the mud-swamp of selfish, all convey a dervish sort of wellness. I have a student named Joshua, he recently told me that he is blessed, off the sauce, and is giving the bowl and vape a rest. His tall, physical stature and genuine, deep eyes were looking into mine, steady and real. Helped my distant thoughts to congeal, made me take pause for a moment and how much better I need to do. I want the power to. Not sure which way to go, which type is the purer, more real me. I know which ways are healthy and true in form and essence, but for some reason, or perhaps because of weak reason, the choices every day are somewhat of a struggle. I am spiritually forlorn and befuddled. Such a privilege it is to sit in a warm home on a hilltop with the sun shining through a big picture window, complaining about not being capable enough to control my destructive impulses and be truly free. No worries. There are countless self-help books available for purchase to lift me say lovey my man say lovey
2: come on to my house and my house i'm going to give you candy come on to my house and my house i'm going to give you apple plum and i forget how Come on to my house, my house, come on. Come on of my house, my house, come on. Come on of my house, my house. I'm gonna give you pigs and dates and grapes and cakes and Come on of my house, my house, come on. Come on of my house, my house, come on. Come on of my house, my house. I'm gonna give you candy. Come on of my house, my house. I'm gonna give you everything. my house, my house. I'm gonna give you Christmas tree. Come on to my house, my house. I'm gonna give you a ring and a pomegranate. Come on to my house, my house. Come on. Come on to my house, my house. Come on. Come on to my house, my house. I'm gonna give you peach and pear and I love your hair.
3: hello
0: hello peter mcgough is that you this is i it is so nice to have you on troubadours and rock on tours again
3: was that what i was talking to you before i'm sorry i had another interviewer just left he was late but here i am
0: yeah we talked uh, we talked back in um february of 2020 right before the pandemic hit in
3: ah okay
0: And uh, we talked for hours, actually.
3: Was Um, it at WBAI?
0: No, at Radio Free Brooklyn. Ah, yes. And uh, a lot of folks really enjoyed what I shared with them. And I said, and I enjoyed talking with you. So I said, hey, I got to try to get him on again. So, again, thank you. Thank you for being here. You're welcome.
3: Thank you for your interest.
0: Oh, no, it's it's my pleasure. Peter McGough is a New York City-based artist visual photography performance arts and um, for years painting, he, painting is is uh, is that your favorite yes um, for years you you worked closely with David uh, McDermott I did and uh, you have been doing your own thing for quite some time now I I yes. am your memoir was wonderful. You wrote it back in 2019. That's why we talked back in 2020. Oh, wow. I've seen the future
3: and... I'm, I'm not like, going with my I'm book. Like,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. How, how are things going since February 2020? How did you fare during the pandemic?
3: Loved it. I loved it. I loved the first two weeks of it. I just stayed in bed and watched old movies. I didn't even get on my pajamas and uh then I came to my studio and I just started working feverishly I had left that relationship I felt completely free and uh I can't stop painting it was like uh I had an awakening and I truly became myself it's kind of kumbaya, but that's what happened uh I just had this awakening of like, I'm going to die one day. The planet might not be here for long. And I got to get busy enjoying my life. And that's what I've been doing. And I have made these paintings uh, so beautifully. And uh, I'm completely engaged in my practice. I'm completely absorbed by the work I'm doing. It's it has it's become everything for me. It has become an ideal way of living, and mm-hmm. I truly enjoy it. I really do. It's mm-hmm. something that's so uh, it has has own effervescence and it has its own world that uh i continue to live in in each painting wow
0: wonderful you're fortunate to have that is it I, is it um any particular focus is it abstract is no know, it's
3: figurative. it's totally figurative and understanding of uh Fantasy. You know, Paul Cadmus, Jared French, the two gay artists from the 30s and the 40s and all, they called their paintings fantasy realism. And that's how I kind of feel with these paintings I'm making now. It's like fantasy realism.
0: What types of paint are you using? Are you uh, oil? Or... Oils.
3: Oils. I've worked in oils for decades. You know, acrylic. They dry too fast, and this and that, and uh, so I, I I don't use acrylics. And this I is use in... washes on paper, but uh, you know, I like oil paints. I know I'm familiar with it.
0: And, and this is in your studio in uh, Bushwick, Brooklyn.
3: Correct. Yeah, I, I've been here for like I think 12 years.
0: Is that you where know? you live as well, or do you? Uh, you no, have
3: no, to... I live in the West Village which I lived around the corner when I was 19 years old in the 70s. And so I've watched this decline from artists, writers, poets, LGBT worlds, Marsha Johnson, Marsha P. Johnson, and all these different things. And now it's Barbie and Ken. (laughs) It It
0: It must be more expensive now, too.
3: Well, I have a cheap apartment, so it's lovely but it's outrageously expensive for what you get. And um, it's just become a pub crawl for people on weekends. So it's really trying to walk through the mob of party goers.
0: And Bushwick, do you prefer Bushwick now?
3: Bushwick's a dump with a lot of uh, fancy restaurants and expensive rents, but, you know, I'm i I'm just, corner from a garbage dump, you know, where they wash out the trucks or, you know, and then you can go get a $20 pizza or something, you know. So it, it's, it's a dichotomy. It's strange.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Well, Radio Free Brooklyn's in Bushwick. And, uh, you know, walking around sometimes, you're right, it is a dichotomy.
3: It's sort of. Been- yeah. It's like Hollywood. You can be, there's a gorgeous neighbor, and you turn the corner and it's like, you know, a liquor store and a cash bail bond. You know. Have you been getting It's interesting, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I just took it because I was living on Canal Street and they wanted to up the rent to 6000 a month and I was like, for a five-floor walk-up? Then they said, well, you could buy it for a million and a half and I was like, for a five-floor walk-up? And I moved out here and uh, I've been here ever since.
0: That's great.
3: That's great. You know, Uh, I, I went here because it was cheap then.
0: You know? Yeah, now it's getting gentrified, Bushwick, of course.
3: Oh, yeah, well, you know, gentrification is everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I knew that Manhattan would be Millionaire Mile. row. you know, I knew it in the 80s. And now it's just, you know, it's so uh, white toast. You know, it's so bland now when it was an exciting, you know, age Killed all the inhabitants of the West Village, most of them. And then, you know, went to all their 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 stores, their restaurants and everything. It wiped them out. And now it's just uh, white hetero hell. That's what I called it.
0: White hetero
3: hell. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just so bland. It's Cameron and Tiffany and Amber. You know, it's Barbie and Ken. They all look classic. They're blondes with a raincoat belted in the back, straightened hair, untucked dudes, you know, hanging out. You know, God bless them, but, you know, it's bland.
0: Well, when you were working with David, you you two were kind of back into the uh, uh, 19th century.
3: Yeah, it was, as I was just telling the, the times, uh, it was a failed utopia. A failed utopia. And it just all fell apart.
0: What you You and David were trying to do, you mean?
3: Oh yeah, because of my naivete and his greed for money, and uh, it just fell apart so many times. You know, I could have—I bought bought it all when it was super cheap, and I just lost it all from mismanagement. You know, the bank building in Williamsburg, the. Up in the Catskill Mountains, this 18th-century little paradise that never been modernized, and then I had the house on Avenue C, and it just all went. You know, and I wrote my book. The, I've seen the future, and I'm not going. That tells the whole story. That came out on Pantheon, Pantheon Random House.
0: Yeah, that's a great, it, it's great. It's great. It's great. And it, great reviews too.
3: Fantastic reviews, and then COVID killed all my appearances.
0: Are you gonna so, try to redo it? Are you gonna try to get it back?
3: No, maybe a paperback. I I asked my eight, my uh, uh, editor, Shelley Wainsor. I was like, "Could you send me twenty books?" And she goes, "I can only find five. I think it's sold out." So maybe that'll lead to a paperback, but who knows?
0: Maybe a movie. Who would play you?
3: I don't know. Many people called me before the pandemic, but I was like, "Add another zero. <laughs> you want this for a year. Add another zero. But you know, we'll see. Someone wanted to make a documentary about it and uh my ex-partner said there's no way I'll participate with anything of his. So, you know, it just well, He's out. Me. He's in
0: Ireland, right?
3: He's in Ireland. He is in Ireland. And, and he's sort of a
0: luddite more so than you.
3: Yeah. He lives in his fantasy world. He lives in a world of fantasy. And I don't blame him because the world's horrible. So that was what attracted me, was a fantasy he lived in.
0: Yeah, and he was a I little think, older, I think, too, right? Six years. That's the, my wife is nine years younger than me, so sometimes... Yeah, I,
3: it's different sometimes. But, uh, you know, the beginning was great. And then when the money came in, it went horrible. Because he wanted it all. And, uh, but there were magn- it looked fantastic. And then it, on the inside, it was just arguments and it all fell apart. And the crash, economy crashes, came. You know, I thought it'd be a never-ending lemonade fountain. And it wasn't. Well, you were relatively young, right? How old were you? I'm 64 now.
0: Right, but back then.
3: Oh, I was 23. Exactly. 24. What the heck do you know when on the cover of Art Farm as a 26-year-old, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, with the best galleries in the world, blah, 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 the horses, the carriages, the antique cars from 1913, and, you know, all that's gone. I was just saying how everything's gone with the wind. He lost all his store He's angry. With, you know, he lost all his storage. He lost every object almost he's ever owned.
0: It was stolen
3: or just? Uh, no, he we- couldn't pay the Forage bills because I just couldn't raise that much cash. Or, and it just went away. You know, the economy goes up and down. And when you don't have a soft pile of money, you suffer when there's a, a, a fall in the economy. I've learned well, my lessons the hard way.
0: Well, I mean, obviously you understand economics and you experience now it. Like how we I all do. do but now I has, has your vision or your sense of art changed over the years since you're in your 20s and how so if, if that my if...
3: is the painter and uh you know the early paintings are very uh you know grandma mosesy and uh you know now i've been working on my own i mean i made all the paintings he didn't he hasn't painted with me for 25 years i guess and I made all the paintings, signed his name. And after I wrote that book, I thought, well, now I don't have to do anything like that again. It was a complete mania, you know. Do you I
0: don't know what you mean. What do you mean you won't have to do anything like that again after writing the book? What do you mean?
3: Fight with him, uh-huh. give him all the money so he wouldn't kick in the painting, uh, you know, He wanted to live in Ireland, and I did not want to live in Ireland. I wanted to be here. Ireland was, you know, it just wasn't for me. I wasn't a drinker, so I didn't have many friends because the social lives are drinking. And when you meet people who are kind of artistic, they love to drink. And I never was a big drinker.
0: You told me a great story last time about eating some mushrooms. I remember, <laughs> I remember that story.
3: Uh, oh, yeah. 80s. Well, you know, I was talking to my strength and I said, oh, I listened to this man on a podcast and he's a doctor and he's a psychiatrist and they use mushrooms. I want to eat. try it. He's like, okay, so how do you want to do it? And I said, I want to get some mushrooms, eat them. <clears throat> and so I ate the mushrooms in my apartment and then I went to the Washington Square Park and I thought, oh, this is very nice. And then I went back home, and then the next day I was in a good mood. I said, I think I'm cured. And then the next day I was depressed. So I said, well,
0: that didn't work. Short term. You were cured for the short term.
3: Yeah, I was cured for a day. But, (laughs) um, you know, uh, I think that, I don't know. I'm not a big drug person. That's good. You know, that's good. I tried them all, and I was like, when is this going to end? You know, it's like please stop, just stop. I can't stand it anymore. Well, it, can, uh, it
0: kind of could lose your soul after a while. I find you know, I mean, I've dabbled with yeah. this and that. After a while, you start feeling vapid.
3: Yeah, I, it just wasn't for me. And you know, people like drugs and booze and all that—that's fine. But it's not my my way of living. I like to wake up in the morning. I don't like a. I was a sick kid in the hospital for half a year. I had all sorts of, health issues and so i hated being sick and a hangover just reminded me of being in the hospital so i tried you, it you know.
0: you were raised in syracuse new york went to school there too is that where you studied uh, painting and or did you teach yourself
3: you no know, my mother put me into art school when i was five years old and um at the everson school of art which before the IMP building and, you know, she always gave me... She encouraged me. She never told me to get another job. I mean, I couldn't hold the job. And uh, she just encouraged me, don't forget about your arts. So, you know, we, I was four. So I came to New York uh, when I was 19 because I went to the Fashion Institute. I was either... I got a scholarship there or to the university of Buffalo and my sisters said, don't go to FIT is full of homosexuals. And I thought, okay, that's where I'm going. And so I went as an illustrator and I hated it. So after the first semester, I was like, I'm not going to school. And I took all my tuition money and went to nightclubs and, you know, restaurants. And then I was broke. But, uh, you know, so sure you
0: learned you learned there, too, though. It's a different type of education, I suppose. But
3: Oh, yeah. And, you know, I always painted and drew and all this, and I did certain things. And then I started painting with McDermott, who knew every cool person on the downtown scene, like Jean-Michel Vosquet and Glenn O'Brien and different art critics and art writers and people like that, and, you know, Glenn O'Brien and Deborah Harry. So I fell into that world with him. And I was the one who wanted to paint. And so he was an entertainer at the time who did a few paintings to make $200 or something. And uh, he became a painter because of me. He said to me once, well, if you wanted to be a hairdresser, we'd have a 1920s hair salon and do martial waves, But you wanted to be the painter, not me, when I'd say you have to help me paint.
0: Throw it back at you. It sounds like a, it sounds like a normal relationship.
3: Well, it was you know showing this drawing I did of two men embracing in a Edison light bulb that I made in the eighties, and I called it No Argument because we always argued.
0: And this is you know personal, but you don't you don't have to answer it. Have you found anybody significant since? Oh, or... God, I
3: got madly in love with someone.
0: Oh, great! Now, presently. 18- Eight, eight years. Eight years. Congratulations.
3: Yeah. Congra- so it's great. You know, uh, you know, my main objective is to enjoy my life and have the kind of life where I'm happy. And I'm happy when I'm painting. And that's the life I have. You know, I thought I'd quit and be a filmmaker. I made this little short film. You know, they went to film festivals and they flew me there and, and then I, when I made the film, I thought it's just too many people and they're all arguing and the lights fall and this and that. So I went back to painting. You know, because it's a solitary involvement. I love it because it's me living in the paintings. You know, you whether it's a man are you, are
0: you, in a... I'm huh? sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were saying you living in the paintings.
3: No, it's asked what.
0: You said you you were living in the paintings. I interrupted you. Yeah,
3: paintings. I am imbibed in my practice. I'm imbibed. It's everything I want. Because I'm solitary. By myself, most of the time.
0: By By choice.
3: Oh, God, yes. You know, when everybody left with the pandemic and I have a color mixer who comes in every two weeks to mix my colors. So, and then I save the pallets in a refrigerator, you know. But uh,
0: what does the refrigerator do? How does that work?
3: It keeps the paint from drying out. A freezer, a mini freezer. Oh, great. That's a good trick. He mixes the colors. I say, here's the blue. I want five lighter, five darker. Here's the green. Here's the red. Here's the pink. Here's that. Here's that. Here's the skin color. And then he leaves, and I go to town. And it, it lasts me a week or two weeks, and then he comes in again. Oh. You know, that's I the w- great
0: thing. I want to ask you a question because we have like 10 minutes left. Um, I could talk to you for hours. I love talking with you. Uh, Thanks. No, yeah, your pleasure to talk with. I'm I'm wondering in these last ten minutes, I'd like to shift gears a bit because last time we spoke, it was I I really enjoyed your insights regarding your sense of place in in the world. You know, your society and and uh, a lot has transpired since the last time we spoke, 2020 to now. Where do you think uh, we are as a society here in the U.S., or if you want to go even larger than that, na- you know, internationally? Are you, are you- well,
3: I listen to a lot of things. I don't watch CNN or Fox News or Channel 7 News. I just can't take it. I hate the way they say the news. I don't think they really tell the whole story. I heard the story of from who was told by, anyway, I heard the story that was true, is that in the election of Joe Biden, Trump called a newspaper owner and a television owner and said, I want you to tell Fox News that that 10,000 votes for Biden was a lie and that I'm winning. And he hung up on Trump. And then Jared Kushner called the person and they hung up and he hung up on him too. He's a media owner, big media owner. And I thought that's real power because he can destroy people when you own that much media and the bankers and the people with the money, the trillionaire banks and family, those are the people in power. And, you know, I see what's happening in China with facial recognition you know, I see how they want to get rid of cash and have everything on your phone. And mm-hmm. what they do in China, if you're not a good citizen, they you can't do anything. Can't get your money out of a bank. You know, they want to get rid of money and they want to have it all on the phone. And they've already done it in China. Facial recognition is everywhere. And uh, I've seen the films, you know, then the COVID protests in China and... My theory in this last few minutes is I'm going to die one day. I will no longer be here physical. I don't know what's after this. I have been close to death, but I didn't die. And what I'm interested in is I watched this documentary short one on people who died and came back. I wasn't interested in what they saw when they died, I saw my uncle. I saw the light. I only saw darkness. And I'm interested what happened when they came back. And this one woman said, I was in bliss for a few minutes that seemed like hours. And I came back and now she said, I can't relate to people. Mm. I don't want to talk about what's on social media. I don't want to talk about a TV family of women that." ridiculous. I I can't relate to people because I experience this total bliss and everything seems mundane. I was like, wow, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think the cell phone zombie world of people walking, blocked, looking at their phones. If I look at my phone, it's like a hypnotic state and then I come out of it and I'm like, What the fuck was that? And so, I think the phones changed everything. And those Apple creators knew it. And they put all of their energy, not into a computer, but into this phone 14 years ago. And it revolutionized the world. Now people cannot get off their phones. And I see whole families at restaurants are all on their phones looking at social media, texting, people walking, bumping in. I have to watch out now. There's scooters, there's skateboarders, there's moped drivers, there's a delivery people delivering food, there's Uber drivers, there's Lyft drivers, there's and everyone's staring at their phone.
0: It's crazy, and I know.
3: It's insanity. So my, my attitude is, let me get out of here. I don't want to go. My neighborhood of this quiet West Village is now a pub crawl for Barbie and Ken and Tiffany and Amber. And I am just like, and they're all on their phones. And I'm like, well, I guess that's what young people do. They go out, but, you know, I'm 64. I had all that. I just, I have so much energy. So I put it into my art and my relationship. And I think the thing is, is that what's going on in the world is, you know, they have their summits where they all meet about the, you know, the environment and their private jets, which are just complete polluters. And they go to Davos and they all sit there. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. I was listening to this comedian and he was saying it's going to be boiling hot outside. It's going to be flooding outside. So everything is the metaverse. And I read about this man, Snoop dog bought a property on the Metaverse, and this man paid half a million dollars to be next door to Snoop. And I was like, yeah, it's... It. And it's all going to be holograms. It's kind of be like Future Shock. All those science fiction writers, they were right.
0: Alvin Toffler, yeah, I remember that. Future robots,
3: Shock. Yeah. you know, Boston, what's his name? They have these robots, and now those dog robots, and then they put a gun on them. It's a weapon. It's not to make people's lives easier. It's a weapon. So I'm what's, like,
0: what's a weapon? The phone?
3: Those mechanical dogs. Oh, okay. Yes. Those 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 robots that can jump from box to box. You put a gun on, it's Terminator. <laughs> and I'm like, and I watch it, and I'm like, I was freaking out. I was, I saw this clip with Stephen Colbert, and he's like, you know, the New York Times said there's spaceships. And everyone's acting like everything's normal. It's a joke. And I'm like, yes, you know, and then all the theories of the world, and all this conspiracy, the QAnon people, JFK Junior. It's absolute insanity. And all what's happening in all these countries and how we're giving all this money to Ukraine. We're fighting a war. And and the people that are like a Dick Cheney type are making billions of dollars on weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, that's ironic, isn't it? Populated, they want to get rid of people, you know, all those QAnon things. But the world is it just hit eight billion. So I think if there's this insanity if I was in solitary confinement, I'd have to find something to do. So I would just meditate all day because you're in a plastic box with no matches, and they throw food under the door, and you get one hour a day outside. So I would just be one of those people on the mountains meditating. And because you're trapped, you're trapped. So I'm on this, I'm a speck on a speck in the middle of the universe,
2: floating
3: in the middle of the universe. We don't even know what's outside our galaxy. We only know that there's galaxy after galaxy after galaxy after galaxy. So we don't even know where we live so who cares about being miserable who cares don't do anything enjoy your life quit your job live in a cardboard box and see the world before it's completely destroyed that's what i think i like the pain i love it it brings so much joy not pleasure but real joy and i was reading this the Upanishad with the ancient Indian text and the Sanskrit. Oh, yeah. What's that?
0: Yeah, I know of it.
3: Yeah, and I found it in the garbage. And I found the Bhagavad Gita. I read them in my 20s, but now I'm reading it. I'm much wiser, and I'm like, there's pleasure, you know, sex, food, whatever. And then there's joy. And I was like, wow, that's outrageous, joy. And I've experienced. Real joy, nirvanic joy in my life when I was young. I just wrote an article for Ursula Magazine, and it's called How to Find Joy in the Apocalypse. Gee, I'd like to smile too. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And I have a painting, and it comes out in December. And, you know, I mean, I'm a miserable, depressed, anxiety-ridden person with trauma and I just think every day I'm like here's Friday it's just Friday it's nothing else but Friday and tomorrow I have to go out I have to go to another state and that's tomorrow it's not today and so I keep myself reined in to today i like don't chomp at the bit. don't fret tomorrow don't look forward just stay here and then, you know, that's how I live my life because I'm perturbed about the outrageous phone usage. And I have no control over the insanity. None. They bump into, they trip. My friend was killed looking at her phone, got hit by a car and killed her. Oh
0: boy,
3: so yeah, it's crazy. And so my attitude is I gotta enjoy my life and stay away from bitches. I mean, there's so many bitches out there. how How
0: do you define a bitch?
3: Somebody, you know, different. They're all about themselves. And then when they're in a bad mood, they shoot their bad mood onto someone near them and jab them verbally to get them upset so they give up. That's a bitch. You know, self-serving, grasping. I mean, we're all on this rock. You know, and everyone's fighting with each other. We're bombing, you know, they're sending missiles and this and that. We're all ready to push the button and blow it all up. Well, if there's a nuclear bomb coming, put an X on my head because I want to be gone. <laughs> uh, yeah, you
0: want to be at ground zero,
3: definitely. Yeah, I do not want to live in a nuclear holocaust. And I'm terrified that's how the world's going to end. Or a tsunami that'll wipe out New York or whatever they predict.
0: It's wonderful talking to you. I could I could do it all day. I Hopefully we could talk again in the future.
3: I'm available. You're wonderful to talk to. Thank you so much.
0: Peter, it's my pleasure. Have, have a wonderful uh, holiday.
3: Thanksgiving. A lot to be grateful for. That's my ending. Gratitude. All right. Cheers, everybody.
0: Cheers to you, too.
3: Bye-bye.
4: Bye. Bye. Well, I have a, a little song I'll sing it right, I'll sing it right if it takes once or twice, oh Lord of oh me, then I shake sugary, every time I, now, when I say that I want y'all to say, when I say oh Lord of oh me, everybody can say shake sugary, everything <laughs> I got is in porn. Now, I pawned my watch, I pawned my chain. I pawned everything that was in my name, oh Lord oh me shake nightshade nice sugary, everything I got skin, everything I got On my plow, I pawned everything, I even pawned my old cow. Oh, Lord, oh me, did I shake sugary everything I got skin pawned. Everything I got skin pawned. I know something I ain't going to tell. I'm going to heaven in a brown pea shell Oh Lord, oh me, the nightshaky, sugary Everything I got, spin-pong Everything I got, spin-pong I palm a chair I palm a bed Ain't got nowhere to Lay my head, oh Lord of me did I shake sugary, everything I got in everything I got in pawn. I pawned my tobacco, I pawned my pipe, I pawned everything that was in my sight. Oh Lord of me I shake read everything I got in
0: home. And now some quotes called Sunbeams in the November twenty twenty-two issue of The Sun magazine. These quotes focus on Poverty and Wealth Americans, like human beings everywhere, believe many things that are obviously untrue. Their most destructive untruth is that it is very easy for any American to make money. They will not acknowledge how in fact hard money is to come by, and therefore those who have no money blame and blame and blame themselves. This inward blame has been a treasure for the rich and powerful, who have had to do less for their poor, publicly and privately, than any other ruling class since, say, Napoleonic times. Kurt Vonnegut, from his book, Slaughterhouse-Five. One cannot get on well in the world without money. To be in want of it is to pass through life with little credit or pleasure. It is to live out of the world or to be despised if you come into it. It is to be scrutinized by strangers and neglected by friends. It is to be a thrall to circumstances an exile in one's own country. That was William Hazlitt. Here's one from Sidney Smith. Poverty is no disgrace to a man, but it is confoundedly inconvenient. This is from John H. Johnson. I've been rich and I've been poor, and I have to admit that rich is better. I'm from the welfare rolls of Chicago, and poverty is always with me. It's what gets me up early in the morning, and it is what keeps me up late at night. This quote is from Muhammad Yunus. Brilliant theorists of economics do not find it worthwhile to spend time discussing issues of poverty and hunger. They believe that these will be resolved when general economic prosperity increases. These economists spend all their talents detailing the processes of development and prosperity. As a result, poverty continues. Here is a quote from Tirso Marino. Spend one day working out in the fields picking oranges or tomatoes at piece rate and see how much money you make at the end of the day. That is, if you can make it until the end of the day. This quote is from Lynn Garthwaite. As a nation, we take great pride in rushing in to rescue people all over the world After natural disasters or horrific despotic regimes. Why is there so little compassion for our own hungry children? Why is a child who goes to school hungry and tired. Supposed to become superhuman and do amazing things in life. When did we become a nation that turns on its own. And looks with suspicion on anyone who needs help. This. Is some insight from Brene Brown. The truth is, we are the others. Most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug addicted kid, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one night of unprotected sex, or one affair away from being, quote, those people. The ones we don't trust, the ones we pity, the ones we don't let our children play with, the ones bad things happen to, the ones we don't want living next door.
5: New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. Like a rat in a cage Pulling minimum wage New York, I love you But you're bringing me down New York, you're safer And you're wasting my time records all show you were filthy but fine, but they shuttered your stores when you opened the doors to the cops who were bored once they'd run out of crime. New York, you're perfect, oh please don't change a thing. Your mild billionaire mayor's now convinced he's a king And so the boring collect I mean all disrespect In the neighborhood bars I'd once dreamt I would drink New York, I love you, but you're freaking me out
0: Magazines on the table, sister soul on the radio, brother late autumn tree trimmer in the neighbor's front yard through the living room window. Ice on the long grass that should have been cut once more before the frost of winter takes us through another blissful hibernation. Just the same, we could cut it still when warm spring comes again to sprout another rendition.
6: Standing in the dark,
0: Episode 498 of Troubadours and Tours, With yours truly, E.W. Conundrum, Demure I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible First and foremost, Peter McGough The Sun Magazine And these musical artists The Lonious Monk Jerry Lee Lewis Titoro Elizabeth Cotton, LCD Sound System, The Beatles, Brentford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard 2. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care.